All right, we're here with Chris Gerace. He's uh, from the Rideshare Guys. So we're going to get everything into uh, the Rideshare in terms of food delivery, scooters, everything, you name it. If you go to their website, uh, they've been covering uh, the uh, delivery individual, I, I guess was the ori origin of really who you covered uh, in terms of ride sharing. Uh, but now you guys have expanded into new categories, new topics. I think this week specifically is rather interesting with Uber and Lyft reporting. Uh, there's a lot of information that you guys probably have just speaking with drivers in general. Uh, but I wanted to welcome you to Inside Scoop uh, and share some of your uh, insight, but also uh, tell us a little bit about you and, and also the rideshare guy. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. And yeah, there's a lot of topics that we can talk about. Um, so I, for myself, uh, I've been doing rideshare, mostly the rideshare aspect of it. So, you know, picking people up and dropping them off, doing a little bit of food delivery, but not as much. Uh, I used to deliver food back in the day before the whole gig economy came about. So was very familiar with that. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing rideshare on and off over the last five years. Uh, so started off in North Carolina. Now I'm in New York. And uh, so it is pretty interesting to see um, everything that's going on there, uh, how the differences over the, over the last few years when it came to both Uber and Lyft. Uh, and then you see all these other companies coming on board like DoorDash and Postmates, Grubhub. Uh, and then you get in a ship or into shopping. So you have like Instacart and shipped and all those. So it's uh, definitely becoming a more popular option for people to get out there, make extra money. That's essentially how I started. Uh, and then with the rideshare guy, I do contributing work to the YouTube channel. So I do more of the on video uh, presentations of certain things, whether it's... Tell. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So whether it's talking about different strategies on what's going on within rideshare, how to maximize earnings potential, how to uh, kind of go about things in a more professional manner uh, versus uh, non-professional and just kind of looking at it as, uh, as a way just to make money uh, where you can actually make more money in a better amount of time. Uh, whether it's talking about the most up-to-date news, what's going on with changes from Uber, from Lyft, from these other companies. Uh, so we cover that. Uh, and then there's also the blog, which is the rideshareguy.com. So all the articles out there are pretty much talking about the same thing, just in a blog format. Uh, and then, you know, a few different viewpoints, as well as a lot of people who are commenting and highlighting those comments and what people are actually saying. So it's, it's kind of all in one type thing, which is really nice. Yeah, that's what's interesting. I think you guys give a, a totally um, uh, different perspective, meaning someone like yourself, right? That actually is experiencing what it's like to be a, uh, somebody that is uh, delivering, uh, also driving uh, and understanding the dynamics there. Give us, uh, I guess, a lot of the land. What we're trying to figure out in general is, is sustainability of these categories. We think uh, the future mobility is, which is one of our, uh, what we call innovation blocks here at Avery. The future mobility is a lot of things. Uh, mobility is everything from what Uber is trying to do maybe within autonomous vehicles or companies like Tesla and some others, but also delivery and, and rideshare. Give us a lot of the land for from your point of view in terms of, let's just say rideshare, and then maybe some of the dynamics that you're seeing taking place within some of the, uh, the heavyweights that are participating there. 
Okay. Uh, we're, do you have anything specific that you want to start off with or? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's really just taking, so, so we've come out of COVID, right? In a sense, or we're, we're coming at hopefully. Um, I think yesterday on the earnings reports for Uber uh, and a couple of days ago on Lyft, we've seen a couple of different dynamics that have taken place. One is uh, they're struggling to bring uh, drivers on the platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So there's massive incentive there. I personally am seeing, I went to North Carolina and it took maybe 10 minutes to get a, dr- uh, a driver to pick me up. Usually, you know, we, we're kind of uh, programmed to think that it's instant that it comes to you. And then uh, ironically, it felt like uh, the price point to go maybe a couple blocks instead of being what felt like uh, five bucks uh, two years ago to go a couple blocks was now $15, $16 and taking 10 minutes to pick me up. What's mm-hmm. going on there? Some of the dynamics internally from what you're seeing as a, as a driver. Uh, okay. And does that correlate to kind of what we're, they're potentially seeing on their lack of uh, driver growth relative to a year ago? Yep, absolutely. Uh, that's That's the big topic right now pretty much on all fronts. So riders who want to use the service and try to book rides are seeing, like you said, more expensive, are seeing uh, longer wait times to get picked up. Usually it's within five minutes or so, uh, especially when you're in city centers. Uh, But when it came to this whole pandemic, everybody stopped driving because the ride demand fell completely. And I I forget what it was that Uber had came out. I think it was like something like 70 or 80% of ridership just went away. And then the whole pandemic unemployment assistance, which included rideshare driving, which included food delivery and all that. So people who didn't want to risk going out, they could collect the PUA. And that's still going on today. That's supposed to go through September. Although I guess Montana just uh, changed their policy on that a little bit. uh, So that you might see some drivers coming back in that area. But when it comes down to it, Uh, Yeah, the pandemic pretty much shattered that. And as things are reopening, people have become accustomed to just getting the Uber or Lyft and taking a ride. And drivers, though, they're not coming back as quick. So Uber and Lyft realized this both in their first quarter when they were doing their earnings review back. It was in maybe January or something. I can't remember specifically. Uh, but they were talking about how they're expecting to see a driver shortage as ride demand picks up. The only thing is they didn't realize it was going to be as quick as it is because they were expecting it more in quarter two, quarter three region when it was pretty much a couple of weeks after that, when things were starting to reopen on a mass scale, they were seeing many more rides come in. And this is what's coming with its supply and demand. So you have a lower amount of driver supply for the amount of rides that are coming in So it's boosting things like surge, which is the supply and demand uh, when it comes down to it. So that's why customers are seeing higher prices when it comes down, when it comes to ordering a ride and then longer wait times because there's less drivers on the road, but there's more people looking for rides. So you might see 15, 20, 30 minutes away for Mm -hmm. a driver to come pick you up versus the five minutes or less that most people have become accustomed to. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so what, yeah, no, no. So what are they doing to drive? We heard a little bit yesterday on the Uber call, but uh, uh, from your point of view, what are the incentives you're seeing? Um, it, it almost feels like day one of this uh, this battle uh, of trying to, I mean, not day one, right? They're, they're much more mature platforms, much more reliable mm-hmm. from the consumer standpoint, but from the, the driver standpoint, what, what are you seeing on the, uh, the incentive 
uh, standpoint? And how does that, how does it relate to maybe years ago and maybe your own sense of how successful it could be? Well, you're right. It is pretty much full circle how they're trying to offer the incentives. Originally, it started, they were trying to attract as many drivers as they could. And so what ended up happening was that's how they were able to get the drivers. And then they were worrying about getting rides at that point. So it kind of shifted their their marketing once they were able to get a saturated market of drivers and they shifted how they were doing things. So you had like bonuses and promotions and different things, whether it was a ride streak, whether it was giving X amount of rides in a certain amount of time frame, you get a bonus or guarantee or something like that. Uh, and then for new drivers, you were getting bonuses to come on and give X amount of rides, whether it was an earnings guarantee or a, a flat out bonus on top of whatever you made. That's what they were doing. And then it slowly shifted over the last few years because they had enough drivers, because it was very appealing. So you saw those bonuses and that kind of go away. But with this whole pandemic and the whole driver shortage, you're starting to see them go back to that and offering these things, these incentives to come back to drive, whether it's a driver who took all the time off during the pandemic or whether they're trying to attract new drivers. So you might see something like if you give three rides, you'll get an extra $100. If you give 20 rides, you'll get an extra $400. It's all going to vary market by market. So where I am, it's pretty strong. So I'm seeing every, every week, there's different bonuses in the, in this particular market, but somewhere else where maybe it's there's more drivers coming back on the platform, they'll have a little bit scaled back in terms of how to attract drivers to come back and new drivers to go. But something like Tampa, Lyft was offering, I don't know if they still are, but they were, it was if you give 100 rides, you'll earn $6,000 in guaranteed earnings. So that's essentially for every ride that you gave, you were going to get $60. Right. <laughs> they're, they're definitely hurting for drivers in certain markets for sure. And it's going to be reflective of, of all that. So they're very dialed in. Yeah. Yeah. They're very dialed in on how to offer incentives based on the amount of drivers and the amount of rides coming in. Before years ago, when they were just trying to emerge in that market, they were throwing whatever they needed to throw, especially in the early days. But then when they started opening up in markets after they've kind of did their initial launches, uh, they were able to kind of scale that in and hone it in better. And then again, as you said, with them being more mature, now they're really able to pinpoint exactly. And that can be market by market, even city by city. So like I'm in New York, so I'm under the entire upstate New York market minus the five boroughs in New York City. But Buffalo is different from Rochester, different from Syracuse, which are the three bigger cities in the state. Uh, so each of those are going to have their own bonuses and that's how they scale it. So if you're in the Rochester market, it's different from the Buffalo market and vice versa. Uh, so they're, they're pretty dialed in when it comes to it. But again, some of the things are that drivers are still just not responding because either they don't want to come back because they're doing food delivery They've moved on to other forms of the gig economy. Uh, the pandemic maybe took them out in terms they're not feeling comfortable coming back yet um, because of the closeness. Uh, they're also getting unemployment. So that can be another hindrance. 
Uh, so there's a lot of reasons why drivers aren't really coming back yet. And we're seeing all of that across the board as the reasons why they're not. Well, yeah, no, we'll get into that uh, in a second. But the have you seen anything uh, on the Uber Lyft side in terms of maybe uh, uh, one player giving up one market? Uh, because again, if we're starting somewhat from the ground up and we're using bonuses to incentivize uh, drivers to get on, are you hearing anything where uh, Lyft is now taking over uh, Market X or Uber's taking Market Y or any dynamics there that um, you think is present or, or relevant to understanding the competitive dynamics between those two? And then even, I know there's a couple of new uh, competitors that have come out um, that are trying to offer different types of ride share um, mm -hmm. and maybe speak to some of that. Yeah, there's always new ride share companies trying to come about. Uh, Revel is one that's just launched in New York City. Uh, they're well known for their Revel scooters. They're yeah. going to be taking it in a little bit differently. So they're going to be offering an employee model. So drivers are employees, not independent contractors. So that's a major difference. They're going to have uh, uh, company-sponsored Teslas in their Revel Blue. Uh, so when you, if you're in New York City and you see a Revel Blue Tesla, you know that's Revel. Um, and so, yeah, so they're, they're starting in a small area of the city, um, mostly lower Manhattan, I think from 42nd and lower, but they're going to be expanding to see how things are going. So they're definitely coming on board. You know, companies like Alto and a few others are also trying to open up in certain markets. And then you have also maybe like state sponsored or city sponsored ride share, which could have some potential um, small markets, maybe like for Houston in Texas or different areas that do have them. But the big players are still Uber and Lyft. Uh, there's nobody that's really shown anything in terms of competition there yet. Uh, it could come about though, and it's all going to come down to ridership experience and loyalty when it comes down as well as driver uh, loyalty. And if they're going to do an employee versus an independent contractor model, uh, those are all going to kind of play into it. Uh, but there's definitely going to be some, some markets that are going to have some more competition like New York city, like LA uh, versus, you know, my area where it's just Uber and Lyft. Uh, right. So, and when it comes to competition between the two, they're always com competing against each other. So you might see something like better incentives to try to keep drivers on their platform versus, you know, app switching uh, or going onto the other app altogether. Uh, then there's also different incentives. And then same thing with price competitive, price com competition when it comes to Uber and Lyft on the rider side. So you're going to see that. Um, and I think they're pretty much stuck as is. So when it comes down to market share in that, there's no real loyalty. I think mostly customers and riders are looking for what's the best option they can get, maybe the fastest option at this point. Um, so I'm not really sure what some riders are looking for at the moment. Maybe instead of trying to go tw waiting 20 minutes and they need to get somewhere and they see somebody's only eight minutes away, that can have a bigger impact versus price. So those are a couple of different things, um, but they're definitely dialed in no matter what, because they've been around the block a few. Right, now that makes sense. So let's dig into the head of uh, the driver. Um, generally speaking, what is the, the, the view of both platforms from the driver's perspective? Um, 
Yeah, I'll leave it there. And maybe you can go where you want with that. I think from what, well, for me and from what I've heard and talked to with other drivers, it's very similar on both platforms. There's pros and cons to both. Uh, and most drivers do multi-app uh, unless maybe they've been deactivated on one and then they're only on the other. Uh, so there could be that. Maybe they do prefer one over the other, or maybe there's more rides in a particular market. So maybe Lyft owns that market more so than Uber. So drivers are going to go pretty much where the money is. Uh, so there's no real loyalty when it comes to driving for Uber or Lyft. It's more a personal preference. Uh, like I said, there's pros and cons to both. Uh, if you were in California for a driver up until just recently, most drivers would have probably enjoyed driving on Uber versus Lyft because some of the changes that they made on the platform on the driver's side because of the whole AB5 employee versus independent contractor. But when Prop 22 went in on board, then they didn't really have to do that anymore. But they continued on up until just very recently where they took all those changes away. So that's going to probably anger some drivers. But yeah, it's all going to come down to personal preference and uh, what's more, what's making them more money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's tends to be a lot. <laughs> uh, the driver for most work. Or, I mean, the, yeah, the driver for most work, but the um, kind of stepping into that, uh, that area in terms of the regulation that's taking place in California, uh, when you step back, it, it almost sounds like as if it, it could be a, um, a benefit to the incumbents as I think there's an hourly a limit that you have to, to hit, right, uh, in California to be uh, able to receive some of the benefits. And therefore, mm. you have to drive for maybe one, one of the driver, either Uber or Lyft or whoever else is around uh, to proceed, therefore, potentially locking in drivers into specific um, uh, rideshare companies. Is that true? Is that, is that, are you hearing that? Uh, how are the drivers feeling about uh, some of the changes there? And what are the changes that, 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 that have taken place just for the, the listeners? Okay. So some of the changes are, <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, the first change is the whole uh, minimum floor earnings guarantee. So it's 120% of the state's minimum wage plus 30 cents per mile. If as a driver, you make more than that on fares, then you don't get anything extra. But if you make under that amount, then you're going to get whatever the difference is. So let's say you had to make $500 under this new, new rule. If you made $600, well, you made $600. That means you made more. So there's no incentives underneath that. But if you made, let's say 325, they would have to then put the up or they would have to go up to the $500. So whatever that extra uh, incentive would be, that would be the difference. So it'd be an extra $175 that you see. That's on a rolling two-week uh, thing as well. Hmm. So they compound it every two weeks. Uh, when it comes to the incentives, yes, you have to have what's called booked time, which means it's not time that you're online. So I can go right now on the app and just sit on the app, but that's not counting towards this. It's whenever you are on en route to pick up a passenger or when there's a passenger in your car. And same thing on delivery, when you're en route to pick up an order and taking that order, that's when it's considered book time. So there's that discrepancy there. And so you might see 
35 hours online time. You might see 24 hours booked time. So at that stage, then the incentives are going to be a little bit different because you're required, I think it's 15 hours for it to start up to, I think, 25 hours where they get give more. Uh, I can't remember. It's been a while since I, I looked into that um, and made videos on that. So it's been a little bit yeah. of time. Um, and then the whole thing, I can't, I, and I wish I would have, have looked up before, but when it comes to combined, uh, I can't remember if California does it where it's combined now um, or not. I think it is supposed to be combined where it's not company to company, meaning if you're on Lyft's platform, the hours booked on there versus uh, what you did on, on Uber or DoorDash or something. I think they're combined, but I cannot remember for sure. So don't quote me on that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> no, we'll look into it. But the, um, cool. So let's, um, so uh, obviously COVID did open up the, the opportunity to look around in terms of uh, the gig economy, um, which is another interesting area that we continue to focus on. And some of the opportunities that are out there are everything from kind of uh, pet walking to uh, food delivery to uh, all the different uh, uh, digital services you can provide on things like Fiverr. Fiverr reported last night or, or this morning, actually. Um, and you see continued traction there. That doesn't require a vehicle. That doesn't require a lot of things. Um, what is the general views of uh, kind of what, who have you seen kind of that, you know, personally, maybe, or people that you've spoken with that have moved along to other platforms, where are they really going to, what do they like, just the dynamics, anything that you can provide that, uh, share some insights of where they're going and, and maybe why in a sense, but, uh, any sure. details? Yeah. Well, so for the, for the vast majority of drivers who did stay on the platform during the pandemic, uh, they mostly went to other platforms like DoorDash, Uber Eats, any of the food delivery apps, and also some of the shopping apps uh, like Instacart, but mostly it was food delivery. And I've seen a lot of people talking about how they've moved to food delivery. They like it maybe a little bit better versus you know dealing with people in your car because uh, there can be some issues and altercations there. And so there can be uh, that reason as well as just having people in your car right now. Like I said, people might still feel unsafe about that. So Food is a little bit different uh, or even shopping. Uh, so that is probably the vast majority of drivers who made the switch that stayed on and were continuing driving. Uh, so I think that's one of the big reasons too why both Uber and Lyft are struggling to attract drivers back because they might still be out in the gig economy itself, right. but they're not actually in ride share anymore. They're in food delivery or shopping. Um, even Amazon Flex, uh, like Package Courier, um, Roadie is another app. And then, yeah, like you said, there's different different aspects. Maybe they don't want to drive. Uh, they're sick of putting wear and tear on their vehicles. Because when you're a driver, whether it's food delivery, whether it's shopping, whether it's ride share, you're putting a lot of miles on your car. You're putting a lot of gas in your car. A lot of wear and tear parts are going to break down much quicker. So you're going to have to replace brakes, tires, all that. Um, then if you have some big issue items that need replacing or anything like that, that's a big thing. So I think some drivers just kind of got tired of driving and they're like, well, we can try something else. And with this whole pandemic, it really opened up uh, a even larger amount of what you could consider the gig economy like Fiverr. So if you have some experience in, say, 
editing or voiceover work or something like that, you could put your services there and build out a business that way. And yeah, you don't have to leave your house. Uh, a lot of stay-at-home work as well, too. And then just unemployment. I mean, that's that's the big one in the room if you really want to get down. And that's, I think right. we're having a, a major impact across pretty much the entire country in terms yeah. of working <laughs> when it comes down to that. Got it. That makes sense. Um, digging slightly into food delivery, I know you focus a lot on rideshare. Um, so whatever you can uh, add, right or, or delivery. So we're trying to contemplate kind of the dynamics there. Obviously, it's absolutely taken off uh, during COVID, uh, mostly through necessity. Um, and yet, when we kind of put the equation together, one for the restaurants, and then two for the consumer, and then three for the driver. Uh, for us, it almost feels like a lose, lose, lose almost um, in some ways, right? Like there, there are those benefits on a, as a consumer where you have convenience. Um, but in some cases, you are paying 30, 40% of, of what the, the menu item, menu price is. And then the driver's probably doing a little bit more tedious work than ride share and maybe getting paid less. And it's kind of uh, a little bit more... Um, uh, intense in terms of trying to get the food quickly to people. Um, and then the last one is the, the restaurant where the take rates typically are, are fairly high. Therefore they have, they're forced to increase their price. Like mm -hmm. that, that's my view of the dynamics there, but what are you seeing from the driver's side or like the delivery side? Uh, and maybe your own uh, personal opinion on the, the, the kind of, uh, the lose, lose, lose comment. Well, you, you're pretty, pretty spot on when I, when saying lose, 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 absolutely. Unfortunately, yeah, it's uh, they're charging a good percentage when it comes to the restaurants in order to be able to do that. When restaurants, one, were shut down for the most part across the country. So you're losing all your dine-in service, your walk-in service, and you had to do delivery or shut down with it. And so it was kind of almost an exploitation, you could say, in loose terms, though. Um, it was a way, though, for restaurants to continue on, and they make a very tight profit as it is. Uh, they might be making 10% for every you know, order or dine-in or food delivery or takeout or whatever. It could be only maybe 5 6 to 10% that they're making because they got to pay their employees. They got to pay for the food costs. They got to pay for all these other things. Then on top of it, you're paying the fee for Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever it might be. And that's really going to eat into profit. Like you said, you got, they're going to have to raise prices for that uh, to just be able to uh, continue operating and not operate as a loss. Uh, so that's been eating into it where it's losing for the, for the restaurant, although they're winning because they're still continuing to put food out there. Maybe they're gaining new customers because they we're able to now provide a delivery service versus uh, not having that at one point before. Uh, so there could be some win to it, but overall it's probably a loss uh, for the driver side of things. Yeah. You got to go into the restaurant. Sometimes it can be a little hassle uh, for doing that. It just depends on what's going on. Um, so, you know, instead of just sitting in your car, maybe the weather uh, is not, friendly or something snowing or raining outside, uh, you might you just get soaked or something like that. So it could just be a little added stress. Um, but when it comes down to the bulk of it, you're just pretty much going in, getting the food. You might have to wait 
for some time for it to get ready. Uh, so that can be a little bit of a hassle or a stress for some people. Uh, and then sometimes the dynamic between the workers in the restaurant and the drivers can be at edge. Uh, so that can always cause stresses as well. Uh, but then for food delivery on a, on a driver aspect, it's not as bad if you're still continuing to go out there and try to make money because then you can. And so there, there's, there's definitely some, some pluses to it. Uh, and then on these companies side, they're probably just like, oh, well, we're making the money there. Uh, we're doing that. So they're like, all right, well, we don't have to change. But then on the customer end, um, they're the ones who are going to end up paying more in the long run, especially when things reopen. You're going to see some sticker shock prices, I'm assuming. I've already seen it at some of the restaurants I've gone to uh, where they've raised prices because of, I'm assuming, this pandemic and some of the uh, exploitative factors when it comes down to these companies charging so much when it, or operating essentially on their platform. And uh, so that's probably going to be a big thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's rough all around, but if people come together in terms of making smart decisions and being competitive and having a competitive edge, you might see another company that comes up out of nowhere and might offer something that's going to be a better platform for restaurants, a better platform for drivers and a better platform for rider, or I'm sorry, for customers at this point, uh, which could end up becoming a big game changer. Uh, it's just finding where the missed opportunities are and then correcting those and making them better. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, whenever you, you hear about that company, just let us know ahead of time. <laughs> we would like to know. Sure. But the, um, yeah, um, last little question on that. And then I'll, I'll have like one final question here. But the, uh, the, the, you know, a lot of people look at Uber as the potential of being this super app. Uh, and in some ways it, it, it kind of has those characteristics. I know they tried payments and that didn't necessarily work as flawlessly as they, they wanted and kind of uh, semi quasi shut down um, in terms of the ambitions that they had with it. The, as of right now, it's, it's obviously rideshare and, and eats and that's, that's the core, but how, from a rider perspective, the driver, uh, I mean, uh, what is the likelihood or what are you seeing in terms of drivers actually utilizing both at the same time? How easy is it? Uh, are they doing it? Is it kind of most people uh, lean on one or the other? I know, I know COVID was at one, like essentially one, um, but let's just take it back maybe pre-pandemic. And then as, as we exit, um, how do you feel that will shake out from that point of view? Uh, well, with Uber and Uber Eats, it's all based on the same platform. So from a driver aspect, you can have both on and essentially on the drive. I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that aspect or not, but you can choose what types of rides you want to take. So if you want to take food delivery, you can turn that part on. If you want to take ride share, you can turn that part on. And then whatever your car may qualify, if it's like Uber Comfort, Uber X, Uber XL, anything those you can turn on and off for the most part. Um, not all of them are selective, uh, but you could turn on both if you wanted. And if drivers wanted to take advantage of both, then they surely could. Um, it's just going to lead to less downtime and more chances of having an order or a ride. And uh, so that does happen when I was doing food delivery on Uber and Uber Eats. You could do that. 
uh, where it was either taking and picking up food and delivering that or picking up a passenger and taking them to their destination. Then also Uber does deliver uh, different deliveries as well. So they can do uh, what's termed Uber Connect. And um, there's another term for it too. And I can't off the top of my, tip of my tongue, but I can't remember what it is directly. But you could turn that on and then you can take packages or anything, whether it's from a company to an end user or from a company to company or, or, or person to person. Uh, they have those options now too. So they're definitely looking into different avenues. And then I know Uber CEO had just recently said in an interview that if the cannabis laws change on a national level, uh, they would look at doing uh, weed delivery as well, too. So they still have a lot of ambitions that they're probably looking at uh, and they're testing things out and, you know, phasing out things that don't work. And then, you know, keeping things that could work or, or amping them up a little bit differently or revamping them. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of different things. But yeah, that's pretty much been their goal and still is their goal is to be that, that super app that you're talking about, that whole um, aspect of, of if you need something, it's Uber. Right. So. Got it. Last thing is uh, autonomous driving. What's the uh, internal perception there from the driver's perspective? I, I, I personally think we have a lot of uh, runway until that is any sort of uh, material um, kind of uh, any, any type of ride, you know, I think uh, circling a, uh, a college campus where it's a, a square um, makes a lot of sense for just quickly uh, um, transporting people um, and in maybe some long distance things, but in general, what's the views of, of uh, the threat of autonomous or the synergies between uh, physical riders and also, um, cars. Obviously, what's interesting when you said the, the Tesla thing with Revel, um, I think that signal potential that, I mean, just sound signal of what their ambitions are there, if they're thinking of the future of who to partner with and what to use as a potential um, tool or product, I guess, uh, in terms of autonomous capabilities down the road. And it has some cachet to it, obviously getting picked up in a, in a Tesla. Uh, so what's your thoughts on uh, the autonomous driving world and anything, how it relates to drivers. Oh, for sure. Uh, autonomy is definitely a ways away. Uh, I mean, I was in new in Las Vegas before the pandemic and they had the, um, I think it was the lifts. Yeah, it was lifts, uh, self-driving car where they had two people in the car. So there was a driver and then somebody who was studying the road. Uh, they just so, sold that unit, right? So yeah. Yeah. And then Uber did with their self-driving a while ago too, uh, because it's not panning out for them as much as they'd hoped. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's definitely going to take some time and it will happen. Let's be real. It's going to happen. It's just not going to be in a time frame that if you're driving right now, anything to be worried about, uh, at least in the near future, uh, it's going to be several years off and then it's going to open up a whole new can of worms like how are these cars going to get cleaned and then what happens if they get damaged and you know a few other other issues that you could talk about uh that somebody in the car like a driver would be able to have more control over uh so there's there's going to be a lot of things that have to get worked out when it comes down to it but still that's going to be several years off and i'm sure like i said most drivers at this point they won't have to worry about it 
Got it. Yeah, no, let's wrap there. I think that that was a lot of uh, interesting insights. I wanted to give you a second to uh, obviously share uh, anything about rideshareguy.com, some of the content that you share and uh, where people can find either you or your content uh, in the future uh, and give you a second there. All right. Thanks. Uh, yeah. If you want to check out the rideshareguy.com, got several different articles, several different blog posts on many different things within rideshare food delivery, within uh, just different aspects of the gig economy, ways to save money on certain things, whether it's gas, whether it's uh, cashback apps, different things like that. It's kind of an all-in-one place there, both for drivers and also customers or riders. Uh, that is some of the information there. On the YouTube channel, there is videos that are going to show different, many different things on rideshare itself, on food delivery, on you know freight. So if you drive a truck, uh, there's a lot of different things when it comes to that. So if you want to check out on YouTube, it's the rideshare guy as well. And it's just going to make drivers a little bit more in terms of what's going on in the gig economy, in the gig world, any changes to any apps that you're seeing, any uh, updates, any revampings, anything like that. And then many different strategies on how to use certain uh, principles and applications to become a better driver, to become more professional, to make more money in a shorter amount of time. Cool. Chris, again, appreciate all the insights and, and coming on with us and, and sharing some of your, your experience and the things you're seeing out there from a driver's perspective and from a, uh, one of the larger websites out there for many of this stuff. So appreciate it once again. All right. Thanks for having